Hi guys and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of being joined by Holly and we are going to discuss exercise mechanics which is something that a lot of male coaches in the industry talk about but I wanted to cover this with a female as I think more female, more women deserve a bit more spotlight for their knowledge and I think especially on like male dominant podcasts they just tend to get other men on to talk about certain subjects when actually a lot of women have the same amount of knowledge on those things. And Holly has a lot of, a lot of knowledge on exercise mechanics. So Holly, could you give us a little bit of background on how you got into the industry and what you do? Okay. <laughs> so hi guys, my name is Holly. Um, I kind of first got introduced into the world of exercise mechanics back in 2019 i was actually i think i was like three weeks out from one of my finals that i was doing uh, so i was on prep i was heavily <laughs> heavily dieted by that point um and i really wanted to get started into online coaching so i decided to enroll on a muscle mentor seminar and i thought it was just going to be about you know programming and you know selecting exercises and how to coach people but my mind was absolutely blown by the stuff that they were talking about, like all these words like moment arms and torque and for joint forces and everything came at me. And I was just like, what the hell is this world? And my eyes were just open that weekend to the fact that when you're picking up a weight, when you're doing an exercise, when you're moving any sort of load, not just moving a weight for me to be like, there is so much that goes into it. And like, being exposed to that information to me just kind of transformed how I saw exercise. And I ended up going to the gym, like when, when I came back from the seminar and just seeing all of this stuff in the machines. And I was seeing like the lines of force. I was seeing the moment arms. I was seeing the torque. I was seeing these axes around and it really sparked me into wanting to know more because I'm the kind of person that like, I always just want to learn and further my knowledge on stuff. And I knew that by getting a better understanding of the exercise mechanics that underlies all of these machines and our training, like I can really optimize my training and maximize both my results and obviously like the potential clients that I ended up having. Um, so yeah, I just really wanted it to, to figure out a way to take my training and my knowledge and my coaching kind of to the next level. And this has just been like, it's literally changed my life. It's changed my whole perspective on training and it's been absolutely amazing. Yeah. And as an athlete yourself, Holly, when did you start competing and um, where are you sort of at at the moment? So I started my first prep January of 2018. So I went through a whole prep in 2018 and then another prep in 2019 with like a short like six month off season in between. Um, finished my competitive season in 2019 in November. Went into an off season again from November until when was when did I start prep now the start of April this year um so I've had a decent amount of time off since my last competitive season um obviously not the most optimal of times which has actually been really useful because basically what happened was I finished my competitive season November 2019 I started coaching with Luke from the muscle mentors because I said to myself I want the most optimal um, experience of an off season possible and I knew I could learn from him as well because he is an educator and I, I want to be coached but also to be mentored and taught um, so then I learned so much from him and then he kind of egged me on to um, enroll in Integra so Integra is basically 
a course or like a series of courses where you learn about anatomy and exercise mechanics and enhancing both your own training and, and the client experience that you would have either in person or online. Um, so then in January, February, March of 2020, I did Integra Foundations where like he like Luke definitely sparked me into doing these and like I learned so much, not just about kind of the underlying anatomy and obviously like the basics and fundamentals of exercise mechanics, but also like how to use this in a client setting. So your client, when you're coaching them on the, on the floor or online, like they're not going to want to know about all of these technical terms and the physics and all of these calculations. Like Michael Golden, who is the one that teaches the Integra course, he always says, uh, think science, speak client. So how do you translate this knowledge into providing the perfect experience for your client? So I did that from January, February, March, and then we went into lockdown. Um, and it was actually quote unquote good timing because <laughs> um, yeah. I, I was able to create all of these home training programs for my clients with the knowledge I had of the exercise mechanics from all of those courses. So if you understand the fundamentals of how to create a challenge for the muscle, how to uh, produce force and all of this stuff, um, you can do that anywhere, whether that's in a gym setting, whether that's a home setting, like your anatomy and your muscles are not going to know where you are. They're just going to know that there's a force being applied, that there's a challenge being created that they have to overcome. Um, and that really, really propelled me through lockdown. And that's why I, I gained quite a few clients because they were able to see that, you know, my clients were getting results and they were enjoying the home training and they find it challenging and it, and it was paying off for them. So that has been quite a learning experience. And I think it's actually been quite useful for my coaching in a way to kind of have that challenge instead of just being, you know, it's very easy for anyone to create the perfect program when you're in a gym like MuscleWorks that has everything Cybex or, you know, all that kind of stuff. But when you are forced to have limited equipment done, um, be in those suboptimal situations, that's when I think you really thrive and you really develop your knowledge because you're being yeah. challenged like that. I think that's a really important point for people because I think, when we originally went into lockdown, people were kind of like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm going to lose loads of muscle tissue. When in reality, like you said, your, bud your body doesn't know really whether you're using like dumbbells, a barbell or your body weight, if you can apply the stimulus in a really effective way. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously exercise mechanics is a big part of that. So when we refer to the term exercise mechanics, what do we actually mean or what does this include? So basically, when we refer to exercise mechanics, this is obviously kind of utilizing physics and mechanics into our training. So it's basically applying, you know, the principles of joint mechanics, muscle mechanics, resistance mechanics, and then combining all them together and seeing how they influence things like strength profiles, resistance profiles, joint forces, and, you know, how you can manipulate them and alter them to either optimize your training, to create specific challenges, to get specific results and um, so just having that fundamental knowledge of the mechanics and the components that make up an exercise and then once you have that knowledge how you can tweak them and change them to your advantage based on you know the goal of the exercise because obviously we always have to take into account the goal of the exercise the individual all that kind of stuff as well and um, so just basically like tailor-made training uh tailor-made exercises for the specific individual what they want what you know their mechanics their anatomy everything like that 
Yeah. I suppose it's like when, when we say there's no one size fits all in terms of nutrition that applies to training as well. And obviously exercise mechanics is a huge part of that, which is often overlooked. I think exercise mechanics is hugely overlooked, not just by coaches, but by research as well. Like often you will see people comparing um, a bench press to something else and they have all these different um, subjects in the study and they never take into account the person's anatomy, their sternum angle, the size of their rib cage, anything like that, which will hugely affect like the moment arms, like the, the everything, the joint forces, everything involved in their anatomy and that's going to contribute to the effect of the exercise and the results of the exercise. They just completely disregard all of this stuff and that we all find that everyone in the exercise mechanics world finds that mind boggling because it's so so important you know like if I me bench pressing versus like a hundred kilo man who has a huge rib cage like obviously I'm going to be able to get a further range than he is because my rib cage is so much smaller whereas people don't take that into account you know yeah and I think sorry go on yeah I was just gonna say I think research is useful and obviously these days, everyone likes to be evidence-based, but I think sometimes people forget that being evidence-based includes it includes anecdote and it includes experience, but it also includes like theory as well. You can't completely disregard these things and being evidence-based is not just looking at research papers and then generalizing that to everybody. It's so much more than that. And I think people forget that and they just almost they find research to back up what they already believe rather than truly being evidence-based. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast of the Muscle Mentors yesterday and Luke was saying um, that sometimes people come to him and they say, well, in this study, all these subjects did this. And, and Luke would be like, well, no disrespect, but like my client wasn't in that study. So therefore it's not necessarily relevant for this person because they weren't involved in the study. They didn't get assessed. You know, they have their own specific individualities that is going to be different from everyone else. Um, so, yeah, you have to take in the individual into account because there are so many variables that are involved in that specific individual, not just like their anatomy, their structure, but also like their their injury history, um, their enjoyment, which is one of the primary factors that a lot of people disregard. You know, what are they going to enjoy? What are they going to come back for? What are they going to adhere to? Um, what their goal is, how they want to look, how they want to feel, and you know, what functions they want to be able to perform in day-to-day life. Like all of this is completely specific to the individual and like a research paper isn't going to really tell you that stuff, you know? Yeah. And actually women aren't very well researched at all either as a whole. So that's a huge, obviously, group of people that are a little bit disregarded by the research quite commonly. Mm-hmm. yeah and also another thing they disregard is like they look at things I think there was one like the leg press versus the leg extension for quad growth but they don't take into account the different machines the different brands how they change and how they have different resistance profiles and path emotions and everything like that and you know you can't just compare one leg press to one leg extension when they could be you know there's so many different types like it, it is kind of hard to you'd have to account for so many different variables, which would probably be impossible, but they don't even kind of take that into account, even in the discussion when you should kind of state the limiting factors in your research, they just completely disregard it. Yeah, no. Um, and so you mentioned obviously um, 
working with Luke and the muscle mentors and all of that, where else have you learned what you know about exercise mechanics? Obviously RTS as well. Yeah. So last year was a big year for me. So 2019 was the year I first did the muscle mentors and the seminar and I joined coaching with Luke. And then in 2020, I did Integra Foundations, which is basically the fundamentals of exercise mechanics. And it's now actually a prerequisite for doing RTS. So once I did foundations, I did RTS. I did some of it during lockdown through Zooms. And then it was actually really fortunate because I think it was like the week I moved to the UK in September. Um, that weekend was the start of the RTS in person. Um, so I did RTS, which is resistance training specialist. And basically it's, it's a course that began in Oklahoma by Tom Purvis, who is like the most knowledgeable and crazy man in the world. Like he's insane. Um, but Michael Golden has kind of like the, the, the writer, you know, he has the permission to teach it in the UK. Um, and it's basically just going through everything like anatomy, exercise mechanics, how we can apply this to clients yourself how we can optimize our training um how to manipulate things because i think that's really important is like learning that a personal trainer isn't just someone there to say right 20 reps of this one two three you know like michael golden always says that if you're a personal trainer on the floor and you're counting reps you're doing something wrong because you should not have the brain capacity to count reps because you should be looking at the position of the person you should be looking at everything that's going on around them inside them everything and you shouldn't have the time to count the reps so we kind of did practical bits where we would um work on each other so i'd get someone on a leg extension i'd cue them with a mix of internal and external cues as well as making sure they were set up properly in the machine and they would do it to me and just really kind of hands-on learning which was absolutely incredible and I would say for anyone who is interested in exercise mechanics or wants to learn about it to enroll in the Integra course, especially the foundations one, like I was terrified when I first went because I thought I'd be so out of my depth. I wouldn't understand anything. Like I've never been into physics. Like I am a scientist, but I've always enjoyed biology and chemistry much, much more. I've never done physics. Um, so I, it was very like I had a big barrier in front of it and I was scared. Um, but I went there and like, they are the most, warm welcoming incredible ex experiences and atmospheres there and just the environment is just so open like you never have a stupid question there is never anyone that sounds silly there's never anything ridiculous it's all considered it's all taken on board like people are so helpful and I went away with that like having all these bonding experiences with these incredible people and now I have some really good friends in the industry that are so knowledgeable and so helpful and we help each other out all the time whenever we have questions or issues or anything like that and I would just think like being a part of a community like that is invaluable especially in the exercise mechanics world when it's quite a small community like to have that kind of network and that connection with other people is is really invaluable so i'd highly recommend that anyone kind of enrolls on that course they're they are amazing um so yeah i've done that those two um and i've actually started mentoring with paul from the muscle mentors now so we do that on a saturday because i just wanted some ongoing kind of learning because I, I do my own research as well but it is nice to kind of check in with someone once a week to kind of go through everything you've learned to kind of give you a new topic and kind of assign this stuff to do and I quite like that but um I do eventually want to enroll in the lab series which is kind of the next step up from RTS where you kind of go into more detail into all the anatomy and everything like that and then eventually the, the I think the the main goal for everyone in exercise mechanics is to do RTS mastery which is the one that is you have to go to Oklahoma to do it 
and very few people in the UK have done it. I think James from the Muscle Mentors has done it um, and obviously Michael has, but I would absolutely, that would be my absolute dream to go there because I think um, Tom Purvis, who is the one that runs the whole thing, he has his own kind of gym and every single machine he has tweaked and optimized using like magnets and redirected and everything like that to make everything as perfect as possible. And I think someone told I can't remember exactly what it is. Apparently he turned like a Kaiser press into a pull down by like completely manipulating all of the mechanics of the machine. And you're not allowed to take any photos when you go there because it's all like super secret and no one has to know um but you can follow him around training people so you can literally like walk around and like shadow him while he coaches his clients um it's very very cool so that would be like my ultimate yeah aim. that would be amazing to get to the top of the exercise mechanics world and so holly yeah, and then i like eventually sorry i'd love to eventually then as you said because there's so few females provide my own sort of teaching or mentoring for people because I feel a lot of females are so intimidated because it is such a male dominated yeah. field I feel like most of the time I'm the only girl in the room and um, there are a few women that are into it, obviously but it's it's really really small amount of females so I'd love to be able to provide that platform for females to feel not intimidated to feel excited about exercise mechanics to learn how to optimize their training to understand the why behind things and and not feel like it's just leave it up to the men to do all of this stuff because you know, it's just as important for females to optimize their training. Like they want the best results they can get too. Yeah, I completely agree. I think we need more women at the top in the industry. And so this might seem quite like overwhelming for a lot of people. And I think some people will probably be sat there thinking, oh, I don't need to know this, but do they need to know this? And why might they want to take exercise mechanics into consideration? Okay, so I've, I've explained a lot about using exercise mechanics to maximize results, which while this is also true, I've kind of neglected a very, very important um, fundamental reason we would incorporate exercise mechanics and that's longevity um, in the sport and just in general. You know, like you see a lot of bodybuilders who threw weights around, who just kind of compromised their form, compromised their joints and didn't really care much for themselves and their bodies and are now, you know, either in wheelchairs or they're unable to walk or they've just ruined themselves and like I don't want to end up like that I want to live a long and healthy and happy life and I don't want my training to impact you know my later years and like I want to be able to run after my kids or my grandkids and you know not feel that I need to you know not feel that my training is going to like negatively impact the rest of my life so exercise mechanics to take this into consideration in training is going to ensure that we maintain joint integrity, we don't compromise our joints, we promote joint health, longevity, both in the sport and in life. And this is something that I think a lot of people are so short-sighted and they look at the instant gratification of training and they never really look into the consequences and what's gonna happen down the line. And I often hear people say, oh, you know, I don't care about myself when I'm older, I'm just gonna do what I do now because it's working and, you know, I'm getting results. Um, but your future self is going to look back and they're not going to be very happy with you because you didn't pay attention to them because you will grow into that person eventually. And you don't want to complete, you don't want to ruin the rest of your life because of whatever, 10, 20 years of training. I want to promote my joint health. I want to like expand my longevity. I I want my training to lead me to have a healthier life and not negatively impact my health, you know? Yeah. So that's a really big consideration we need to factor in um, as 
as well as obviously just optimizing results by manipulating things and tweaking things to your advantage as well yeah and at the end of the day like preventing injury does tie into your results from resistance training because if you get an injury and you have to take weeks off the gym well you're not going to be able to progress anyway so it's gonna promote better results if you can prevent injury and you therefore don't have to take spouts away from the gym away from training yeah exactly and if you're training every day in a way that impacts your joints negatively as you said you're not going to be able to get the best results because you're not going to be able to place the challenge directly where you want it to go because like one thing that's really really important in training is focus and intention so if you're trying to place a focus and your intention is to you know contract a muscle as hard as possible but your joints are at you and you have this injury and your external focus is going towards this you're not going to be able to put your all into the exercise because you're you're getting distracted and that's going to affect your results like people disregard the importance of actual intention of the exercise and not just moving something from here to here you know, but actually thinking about what you're doing, focusing on it, placing that intention where you want it to. And if you're being distracted by something that's, that's niggling at you, that's going to detract from the exercise. Yeah, definitely. And so people might have heard people say the term, you need to stay within your active range of motion. What is your active range of motion? What does that actually mean? So yeah, I always, I hear, I got, I actually saw a meme somewhere yesterday saying that active range of motion is an excuse for shitty range with heavy load or something ridiculous like that. But anyway, so we have two types of range of motion. So we have our active range of motion and we have our passive range of motion. So an active range of motion is say we were doing a bench press and we have our hands above, above ourselves and we come all the way down until we can't go anymore. This is the active range and this is the amount of range that you can perform on your own with no external assistance, no external force, just by yourself. So when we go into a passive range, this is when either an individual or a load or something external is forcing you into a further range. Um, and that's not something you can do by yourself. It's, it's something else being applied to help you into that range, um, which is usually in training, we want to stay away from our passive range of motion because our active range is usually the amount of range we have where our muscle is doing the work, most of the work. When we go into our passive range, this is when our tendons, our ligaments, all of this other supporting tissue is going to take over to help the muscle do its job, basically. And when we're under heavy load, we don't really want that to happen. We don't want to go into a passive range where our, our ligaments and our tendons and all of these tissues that we need to look after are kind of taking the load and bearing the load because as you know obviously from that we're not putting the tension or as much force through our actual muscle then um so it's not going to be the most beneficial for hypertrophy um obviously this is speaking specifically from a muscle building perspective there are certain sports there are certain goals there are certain reasons why people would need to go into a passive range like say you're a power lifter and you need to get a certain range for it to count towards your total score you might need to go into a passive range but specifically in terms of hypertrophy it, it's probably not necessary to go there yeah that makes complete sense and so people will have seen like on social media especially people using bands with certain exercises and quite a commonly seen thing is probably when people reverse band a hack squat so why might someone consider doing that and how would they go about reverse banding a hack squat yeah sure so 
if we think about a barbell back squat, we just have a bar in our back, we move up and down a plane. So we are lifting 100% that load and we're dealing with 100% of the inertia. And inertia basically means that if I drop something, that thing is going to want to continue to go in the direction it's going. So it's going to want to continue to smash towards the ground. So when we have a bar on our back, that bar just wants to keep traveling down. So we have to come up with the control to stop it from doing that. So, or else we'll just be smushed. Um, so that is how a barbell back squat works. In a hack squat, we're obviously not completely linear. We are slightly angled. Um, so depending on the actual angle of the machine, say for example, a Cybex hack is 45 degree incline we are only dealing with 71% of that load because it's not traveling linear anymore, it's traveling on a slope. So we are dealing with 71% of that load. So say it's 100 kilos, we're dealing with 71 kilos of the weight, but we're still dealing with 100% inertia. So the inertia still wants the load to keep traveling all the way down. Um, so basically when we apply a resistance band to the top of a hack squat, we are using that band to help us with controlling that inertia so if you can imagine as we're traveling down the hack squat the band is going to take some of the load off us as we get towards the bottom it's going to slow down that movement towards the bottom and it's going to help us control the inertia because obviously if we're dealing with 71 percent of the load 100 percent the inertia there's a bit of a mismatch there it's going to be much much harder to come up with that control on the way down so it simply just helps us to slow down the carriage on the way down but as well as that initial kind of additional benefit of it is it, it kind of helps us match the resistance profile and the strength profile. So we haven't really gone into strength profile, resistance profile, but so strength profile is basically a graphical representation of where we are strongest versus where we are weakest. And a resistance profile is a graphical representation of where the machine is, is heaviest and lightest. So in a hack squat, we're strongest at the top and we're weakest at the bottom but the machine is lightest at the top and heaviest at the bottom. So that's a mismatch as well. It doesn't match. Um, so by adding a resistance band, we take some load off as we come to the bottom, making it easier where we are weakest. And then as we come back up, the band is eventually kind of drops off and it is hardest where we are strongest. So that's just an additional benefit of that. But, and then in terms of how you would band it, it, it completely depends on obviously the machine, the individual, how much of a drop off you want. This is something you could calculate if you're really nerdy like me, because I've been learning how to do this. Um, usually you would use kind of a thick, thicker band. One of the, you could either use a long, like 41 inch one or one of the shorter ones. Um, and using a daisy chain uh, with a carabiner. If you don't know what a daisy chain is, just you can type it into Amazon and you can sell it, you can buy them there. Um, but a daisy chain is is great because it allows you to kind of slightly tweak where you want the band to kick in. Um, so you can kind of assess by doing a few reps where you want the band to kick in, how much you want to take off the load at the bottom. It's something you just kind of have to try and error and get into the machine, see how it feels, see how smooth. It should feel really smooth so that it's always matching your strength the whole way up and down instead of feeling that you, you know, you're struggling to get out of the hole because you're so weak and it's so heavy, you should feel quite a smooth path. But again, it is completely individual. So it depends, but you, I'm sure, I think the muscle mentors are actually making a tutorial on how to do this because it is something you'd need to visually see. Um, I just kind of tweak around and mess around depending on the machine and, and how much I want to take off. Um, but yeah, if anyone ever wants to ask me about any help, I can, tr I can try and help you out, but you kind of need to see it.
And when people are banding things, it shouldn't be like a slingshot, should it? It should be... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. it shouldn't be be propelling you up from the bottom yeah if you're doing that the band is way too heavy you know you need to pick a lighter band if that's going to propel you up because if you think about it (laughs) if it's taking so much of the load that you're literally going through the top like you're not really generating any contraction through your muscle to do that it's kind of doing all the work for you and I see that sometimes as well when people reverse band like an incline press with a barbell and they've done it so that at the bottom of the movement, the band is taking all of the weight off them so they could literally just remove their hands and it would just stay there. So yeah. you have to account for the fact that like you don't want it to take all the load off you because you do want some sort of challenge on your muscles as well. So yeah, be aware of that too. That's important. Yeah. So when people are banding, like you've got to you've got to be able to do it properly. So like you said, it's it's sort of a case of trial and error, but also have a look at like or try and understand how to do it properly rather than just thinking oh like I'll stick a band on this and it'll be more optimal because it's not always the case um, yeah and you have on some in some gyms on the machine they will have a green band already attached to it but then it's the same for absolutely everyone when it, it should depend so I would always say to use um a daisy chain the carabiner just so you can adjust it around because each, the, car- the daisy chain has like hoops along the way and you can kind of change it based on where you put the carabiner around the loop um so yeah being able to tweak it and, and manipulate it slightly is quite important compared to just putting the band on it and just like hoping for the best yeah and so what do we mean when we refer to the line of force during an exercise and you can use an exercise of your choice as an example here thanks <laughs> so i would say an example of a line of force let's say a a dumbbell lateral raise so say we're at the bottom and we're holding our hands down by our sides the line of force is basically the direction of the gravitational field of the weight so if you were to wait where is it going to land like it's going to land straight down so that's the line of force basically like if the weight were to do it at once um, and you were to let go it would just travel straight down in a line um, and that's kind of the line of force of the machine same with kind of on machines um, if you have a load or plates added to it the line of force is just going to come straight down because that's where the weight wants to go because gravity is going to pull it down that way that's kind of the general uh, idea of that and the reason why we need to know the line of force is so that we can look at the moment arm so basically the line of force obviously is the the line going directly down for gravity pulling it down but then we would use that versus the axis of an exercise or a machine so say say we're doing a lateral raise still the line of force would be going straight down our arm basically the axis would be at our shoulder joint because this is the muscle we want to challenge so the way we challenge a muscle is we create torque around the joint that it is looking after that it's in charge of um, so at the bottom we can see that the axis versus the line of force they're basically in the exact same position as we start to move out and go to the very very top of a lateral raise the axis is still in the same position but the line of force is now way out to the side so the moment arm has severely increased so as the moment arm gets bigger that means the challenge gets more difficult so therefore it's harder for us so when we go for a lateral raise at the bottom there's no challenge it's very easy and as we we can probably feel this ourselves as we go out into the top of a lateral raise it gets 
harder. So at the top, it's very, very hard um, because the moment arm is big. And yeah. that's kind of how you calculate the challenge, especially like in machines, it gets a bit more tricky. Um, but if we're doing dumbbell, barbell kind of work, that would be kind of how we would see where something is hardest versus where it's easiest. Yeah. So just to sort of summarize that for people, the um, the moment arm, the line of force, all of these different terms are what we use to determine where an exercise is most difficult and where it is easiest for you. And then we can use things like resistance bands and things like that to, or swap pieces of kit and swap dumbbells out and things like that um, to make it a little bit more optimal and create a, a more even challenge across the, the range of an exercise. And so we spoke a little bit about the hack squat why might we apply a resistance band to change the profile of a leg press so for a leg press you can actually do it two ways so you can do it the same way as a hack squat where we're both controlling the inertia and kind of top banding it to take the load off at the bottom but we can also band it from the bottom as well and this is kind of purely for optimizing resistance profile as you said so in a leg press again we're strongest at the top where can you like the question is when you want to figure out where are you strongest figure out where can you hang around forever so when you're in a leg press you, when your legs are straight you can hang around there forever it's not really that hard but as soon as you come all the way down to the bottom you can't really stay there for that long so strongest at the top weakest at the bottom leg press again is easiest at the top and hardest at the bottom so there's a mismatch there again when we bottom band we kind of do it so that as we push through the band gets tighter and tighter we add more and more tension to the band it gets harder 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 and then as we come back down the band kind of relieves itself gets a bit more slack and it gets easier and easier at the bottom so that's kind of how we would band bottom band whether you top band or bottom band kind of depends on what you want sometimes there is an argument for not always wanting the machine to look at or the band to look after the inertia for you because it's a good skill to have to learn how to control for that inertia. So you shouldn't necessarily always reverse band things. Um, so maybe for a change, it might be good to bottom band it just to match the resistance profile and strength profile, but then to kind of control the inertia yourself. Yeah, that makes sense. And so we've spoken about obviously the hack and the leg press where we could apply a band to, to make the exercise you could argue more effective in some scenarios um, and also decrease our chances of injury. But where are resistance bands commonly wrongly applied to exercises? My favorite topic. Uh, so I think I've seen it so many times and I don't like it's 2021 and I think people should stop doing hip banded ordeal um, because I see it programmed still to this day by a lot of very well-known coaches and obviously they don't really have the understanding of why you would apply a band because I think people get into this idea that adding bands adds tension and therefore makes things more challenging regardless of where you put them or anything but I don't think I don't think you should apply a band anywhere unless you understand why you're doing it and how you're doing it I don't really see that you have the ability to incorporate a band if you don't understand why you're using it so if we're doing, say, a barbell ordeal or a dumbbell ordeal, obviously it's easiest at the top, it's hardest at the bottom. And some people think that if you add a band around your hip and kind of tie it behind you, 
it's going to you know make it harder at the top because you feel like you're kind of thrusting through um, and adding tension at the top or whatever but the problem is if we're going back to the line of force the moment arm all of this stuff if you're holding a barbell the line of force is coming straight down through the bar we are our hip is going to be the axis because that's the joint that we're trying to create a challenge for so for the the glutes or whatever is around there if we add a band to our hip the moment arm to the hip is never changing regardless of whether you're at the bottom of an ordeal or the top of an ordeal the distance between the band and the ax on the axis is literally zero so if there's no distance if there's no moment arm there is no challenge so the only thing it is doing and the only reason it feels hard is because it's trying to pull you back and make you fall over and you're trying to generate force to try and stop yourself from falling backwards and to me that will quite possibly detract from the exercise if you're trying to focus on performing an ordeal executing correctly contracting the target muscles but you're also trying to focus on not being pulled back and falling over i don't think that's going to necessarily add to the exercise so just for people who are still doing hip banded ordeals just maybe go into it there are like a few resources online there's some posts that people have done about it i think the muscle mentors also did a whole podcast about the hip banded ordeal just go into it and kind of see why the underlying mechanics of it don't quite add up and then maybe you'd be better off just not using the band or you could bottom band it bottom banding could be an idea because you're therefore making the challenge harder at the top and easier at the bottom which is what we want um, and I did that in lockdown when I had limited equipment and limited load but just stop banding yourself from the back because it's just there's just no point unless the only thing because there is a caveat the only reason why you would do that is if you are fairly new to training or you're kind of developing a new skill and you want to learn how to hip hinge it could be a cue for showing you how to hip hinge but like I'm pretty sure most people in our industry by now probably know how to hip hinge so I don't think it's that necessarily useful so yeah that is, I have a big uh, <laughs> I could rant about this all day but yeah I just don't I don't see it the application of it in most programs for competitive bodybuilders who want to maximize yeah. hypertrophy and are there any other exercises which you might have seen where people are using bands incorrectly I was trying to think about this where people use bands incorrectly. Um, I think people just use them wrong in many different ways. So for example, as I said, if they take way too much of the load off, so they're doing none of the work and the bar or the, the band is doing all the work. Um, another thing that's like slightly not wrong, but not opti not necessarily optimal, but there is obviously arguments for this as well, is say you're doing like a pull-up if we think about a pull-up we're strongest at the bottom because we can kind of hang here all day we're really weakest at the top because we couldn't really hold the top position for very long but when we add a band to kind of help us do assisted pull-ups it's kind of helping us at the bottom and not really at the top so that's kind of a bit of a mismatch it's not wrong it's not going to cause any injury it's not really going to do any damage it's just maybe it's not exactly what we want from the exercise um but yeah, I think they're the main ones. I, like, I just, I don't, I don't know. Can you think of any specific exercises where people ban them? I can't really think of anything else that people do. I don't think I've seen any much recently. I'm trying to think now. Yeah, that they're the main ones that I see. Just people banding stuff wrong because they see on Instagram that you should reverse ban something, but then not kind of 
doing their due diligence and looking into why you should do it and how to do it, I think is just important. Just just using bands when you don't know why you're using them, I think is yeah. the main thing. Definitely. And so there are exercises which maybe aren't optimal to perform for several reasons. So with an exercise like a barbell bicep curl, why is it that we might want to avoid performing that and choose an alternative instead? So the problem with a barbell bicep curl, there's two reasons. So the main one is if we were to put our hand up by our side and kind of perform bicep curl on our own with no assistance, our path is going to be a certain way that is not necessarily going to align with the barbell. So if we have two hands on the barbell and we're just curling up, but on my own, my arm kind of curls in a different direction. So you're kind of, you're, you're not allowing your body to follow its natural path and path of motion of a machine or of the body is something really important that's often overlooked. Like I've heard people say that if a path of motion of a machine is not optimal, then they won't even use the machine regardless of if the resistance profile is perfectly matching our strength profile and everything else is great. If the path of motion isn't right, they would just completely disregard the machine because it is so important. So we want to make sure that our bicep is following and our arm is following its natural path. So our bicep curl with a barbell is not going to follow the natural path because it's in a fixed position that's just going to be kind of straight up and down another reason why you wouldn't use it is because it's going to create a bit of force through the joints of the uh the wrist because you're having this wrist in a fixed position and you're not allowing for that kind of natural movement um so in lockdown what i did because i only had a barbell is i used d handles on the barbell and that really helped with the free wrist movement um because we don't want to be kind of putting ourselves in that position where our joints are in a fixed motion and they can't move freely because that, that's going to compromise them as well. Yeah. And that, to be honest, ties into the next question as well. So people might have seen on Instagram people um, hooking D handles over a lap pull down attachment and using D handles rather than the fixed bar. Why might somebody do that? Yeah. So it's for the same reason for the free rest rotation. You don't want your wrist to be in a fixed position because this can compromise their integrity and it's not necessarily healthy for the joints to be kind of just trapped like that so we just allow for a free wrist movement um another side note for this is that i still see people who do kind of wide grip for width and close grip for thickness and this is just like completely untrue like you should have ideally like where your natural path is put your hands above your head attach the D handles there and, and kind of pull down to your own body's natural movement. Like by doing something close grip as well, you, your range will be limited by yourself, like the size of your body, like, especially for a very big bodybuilder with a lot of muscle, you know, big ribs, if they're doing anything close grip, they're not going to be able to get their muscles fully short because they are being limited by literally their own bodies. Um, and it's the same for close grip rows or anything like that, like cable rows. Um, they're not going to be able to get the most out of their exercise because they literally, you know, their, their body and their lats are getting in the way of them getting fully short. Um, so yeah, the close grip thickness, wide grip width thing is like just silly. It's uh, it's what uh, Victor Black would call bro lore. <laughs> so that's what I think it is. And so you've mentioned a little bit about um, D-handles giving you more freedom at certain joints there. So should we D-handle a lot of exercises? Depends on the exercise. Um, 
Not necessarily. Obviously, it can be useful, especially for pulling movements um, where we can get that free wrist rotation when we're in a pulling position. I see, like, I do, I prefer kind of like cable D handle presses, which allow for that free wrist rotation as well. Um, you don't necessarily always need to, especially if we're in a good position, like, say, we're doing a press or something like that. We have a nice um, thick handle that we have that we can distribute the force across. Um, that's going to be okay on our joints. Um, but I would say, for it, it, again, it completely depends on the, the exercise that we're performing. Um, but it can be useful in certain applications, especially when yeah, you feel like you're applying a lot of force to a joint and you want to give it a bit more kind of leeway. Yeah, no, that's been amazing, Holly. And I think that people will find what we've spoken through today so incredibly useful. Is there anything you want to add to that for the audience to take away at all? I think the main thing I just wanted to get across is just to not be afraid, both not be afraid of the world of exercise mechanics, but don't be afraid of asking silly questions, making mistakes, wanting to learn, because that's how I first got into it. And if I didn't take the first step because I was too scared, I would never be where I am today. And I'd still be back in the day where I didn't even know anything about this stuff and I literally just thought I was picking up a weight and putting it back down again um so I think it's that kind of cliche saying of you know if you feel like you're the smartest person in the room you're in the wrong room you should always feel challenged you should feel out of your depth sometimes it's normal and it's healthy to challenge yourself to take those chances um and just try it you know there's there's no harm in like even the muscle mentors have like a weekly zoom on a Thursday night showing up to that you don't even have to talk, just, just seeing what's going on, exposing yourself to it. If, it. if it tweaks your fancy, kind of looking into maybe doing a course, maybe doing some mentorship, maybe learning a bit more. It's just invaluable. And if you want to take your training to the next level and you, know, you feel like you've optimized your nutrition, your sleep, your stress, your everything like that, and this is a huge contributing factor to your results. And if you're completely missing this whole thing, like I really think your results could absolutely exponentially increase if you look into this kind of stuff and yeah, just don't, don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to be the one that doesn't know anything because you won't be there for long. You know, it's just yeah. the first step and, and you will, you'll learn things. And I think this is what I learned from a book I read recently, or like maybe before Christmas called, it's called your erroneous zones. Um, and it's basically I've always been, because I've been such a perfectionist and a hard worker and I like being good at things. I've always kind of shied away from things that I feel I'm not good at. But the book kind of says that if you want to master a skill, everyone is capable of mastering a skill. You've never heard someone trying to learn something that never achieved it. They always get there in the end. It might take you a different amount of time. It may take you a shorter amount of time, a longer amount of time. You know, you might be a faster learner, a slower learner, but you'll always get there in the end. Like you never hear of anyone trying to like obsessively master a skill and just not doing it because they will always get there. Um, so just be patient and just be, be open to not knowing anything at the beginning because that's the first step towards, you know, mastering something and achieving something. Yeah, I think the first step is probably always the hardest and then once you get in it's like I can obviously I can relate that to going to CrossFit recently like when I first went I was like I'm so nervous and then after the first session it was fine obviously that's um, a completely random example but 
it applies. <laughs> it's stepping outside of your comfort zone in any way is always hard. But I know that it's the times where I've taken the risks and just kind of immersed myself in a situation that's completely out of my depth. That's when I've walked away on like an endorphin high. Like I came away from Integra being absolutely scared out of my mind going in there coming out being like I've literally had the best experience of my entire life and like everyone who's done Integra will tell you the same they'll tell you it's been an incredible experience they were terrified going in and they've come out feeling like they've made 10 new friends you know yeah. so yeah just don't be afraid to put yourself out there don't be afraid to not know anything because that's the first step in knowing something is not knowing something so yeah just that's what I've learned as well because through all of my school years I've only ever done things that I've been good at or I've liked and I've wanted to get better at but this has been a real learning curve for me, knowing that you can go into something you know nothing about that you think you'll never understand and then and then getting somewhere with it. Like I'm nowhere near where I want to be. Like I want to be like an ultimate master, but um, I'm well on the path. You know, I'm further on the path now than I was two years ago and that, that's yeah. progression, you know. Definitely. So where can people find you, Holly, on social media? And what is your podcast as well? Because I know you have your own podcast with Leah. Yes. Um, so on Instagram, my name is just Holly Davage. It's D-A-V-A-G-E. Um, I am, as uh, Danny said, I'm doing a podcast with Leah. It's called Lift Your Life. And it's kind of just geared towards obviously nutrition and training and mindset and just our own little chit chats. And uh, yeah, you can check that out. It's on Spotify and Apple and all those good places. But yeah, you can mainly find me on Instagram. I post a lot about exercise mechanics. Um, I do quite a lot of posts on that. I've started doing some more posts on nutrition as well because I'm getting back into that because that was my original love was nutrition. And so I feel like I've kind of neglected my baby. So I need to go back and kind of look after them a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, my DMs are always open. If anyone has any questions, I always love answering them because I like to geek out on stuff. Um, but yeah, the main place you can find me. I also offer online coaching as well. So I have like a link in my bio if anyone's interested in registering interest in that too. For anyone interested in finding Holly, I will put her details in the description below so you can head to all of her social media platforms and podcasts and everything like that. But thank you so much for joining us, Holly. Thank you for listening, guys. It has been a pleasure as always. If you do like the content on the Female Fitness Podcast, please do like and subscribe. I appreciate your support massively and I will see you in the next one.